Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. In October 1839, a crowd of middle and lower class Britons gathered at the entrance of London's Adelphi Theatre. Normally, steep prices meant only the upper classes could enjoy drama. However, this new play, called Jack Shepard, appealed to more average audiences. Tickets were sold for as little as a penny. Entrance might have been cheap, but the play was rich with excitement. It told the story of the real Jack Shepard, a notorious thief and con artist who lived in London about a century prior. He was hated in his day, but a hundred years later, his criminal escapades made for a profitable show. Most people left their seats satisfied with the penny entertainment, but others shuffled out of the theater in shock. To them, Jack Shepard symbolized all the ills of the Victorian era, disintegrating class divisions, less focus on organized religion, general moral degradation, and of course, crime. Even so, a small section of London's population, young working-class men and boys in particular, saw Jack Shepard as their hero. He was daring and clever, and his life was far more exciting than the average Victorian Englishman's. Numerous young men committed petty crimes in the hopes of being more like Jack. But some of these crimes weren't so petty. Before long, Jack Shepard became a blueprint for thievery, and perhaps even murder. Welcome to Solved Murders, True Crime Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Wednesday, we step into the world of true crime's most fascinating murder cases and tell the tale of how real-life detectives closed the case. You can find episodes of Solved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free exclusively on Spotify. This is our first episode on the 1840 murder of Lord William Russell. This week, we'll discover how a maid found the Victorian-era aristocrat dead in his own bed. Next week, we'll discuss the bombshell evidence that finally closed the case, then reconstruct the gruesome crime based on the killer's own confessions. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, The Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, The Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Around 6.30 a.m. on May 6, 1840, Sarah Manser awoke in the servants' quarters of 14 Norfolk Street, London. She felt at home in the three-story townhouse, even though it belonged to her employer, 73-year-old Lord William Russell, whom she had worked for for the past three years. That morning, she made her way down to the ground floor to start her chores. But as soon as she stepped onto the first floor, she gasped. The house was in disarray. Lord Russell's many valuables, including gold coins, jewelry, silver cutlery, priceless pieces of art, and more, were scattered about and stacked near the front door. Sarah's heart raced. She was certain that all the doors and windows had been locked when she'd gone to bed the night before. Somehow, someone had gotten inside and robbed them. Panic gripped her as she realized the burglar, or burglars, could still be in the house. She dashed upstairs and woke Mary Hannell, another servant and Sarah's bunkmate. Sarah told Mary to get dressed and meet her downstairs at once. While Mary tied up her hair and pulled on her day clothes, Sarah ran to wake 23-year-old Francois Courvoisier, Lord Russell's valet and butler. She pounded on his bedroom door and he answered almost immediately. Even though it was early, he was already awake and fully dressed. Sarah told him the house had been robbed. Courvoisier sped down the stairs to see for himself, but once he reached the first floor, he seemed frozen by the chaos. He stood, hardly moving, amidst the wreckage. Someone's robbed us. That's what I said. Are you just going to stand there? I... For God's sake, come on, we've got to go wake his lordship. Sarah pulled Corvazier up to the second floor and into Lord Russell's room. In the darkness, they could just barely see the shape of their employer sleeping behind his bed curtains. Courvoisier crossed to Lord Russell's window. He pulled back the drapes, showering the room in early morning light. And then Sarah lifted back the curtain on Lord Russell's bed. The rising sun illuminated the gruesome scene. His lordship's once white sheets were stained crimson. A bloodied towel obscured his face. But there was no question that the 73-year-old man was dead. His throat had been slit so savagely that he was nearly decapitated. A portrait of his late wife sat on his bedside table, a silent witness to whatever had led up to her husband's awful death. Sarah had never seen so much blood in her life. While Corvoisier stood transfixed by the overwhelming red, Sarah screamed and ran back down the stairs, out of the house and across the street. She pounded on their neighbor's door. A footman named Daniel Young answered. You must call a doctor or a constable or, or anybody, please. Fetch us anybody who can help. What's happened? 
Lord Russell's had his throat cut. What? We were robbed, and the burglars, I, I suppose, they they must have... Oh, oh, I don't know what's happened. <laughs> Daniel and another footman took off to find the nearest police officers. Meanwhile, Sarah, Mary, and a number of servants from nearby houses gathered in the drawing room to figure out their next step. Francois Courvoisier, on the other hand, appeared to still be in shock. He told Sarah and Mary that he would pen a letter to Lord Russell's son. Sarah was already frustrated with the valet. He wanted to write a note instead of just sending a horse to the Lord's son's home down the road. But Courvoisier couldn't even draft a letter correctly. It seemed to take him half an hour to write three words. Sarah swallowed her annoyance. It mixed with the grief in her stomach and made her nauseous. She paced back and forth in the foyer, hardly breathing until two Metropolitan police officers finally knocked on the front door. Constables John Baldwin and William Rose arrived at Lord Russell's home around 7.30 a.m. They found Sarah and Mary in a state of utter panic, while Courvoisier sat dazed, staring at the wall. The two women told police what had happened. The officers listened intently, but took note of the valet's behavior. Sir? Sir? Uh-huh. Haven't you got anything to say? No, I... I just feared that I'll never be able to find another situation. Another job, I mean. Why is that? People are going to think I did it. Did what? Killed his lordship. Who says he's been killed? What are you saying? Could the old man not have died by his own hand? Absolutely not. The home has been robbed and his lordship murdered. I can even show you where the burglars came in. The suggestion that Lord Russell might have died by suicide seemed to kick the valet into action. Courvoisier had seen the body. His employer's throat had been sliced through. There was no way a person, let alone a man as old and feeble as Lord Russell, could do such an awful thing to themselves. Roused from his seat, Courvoisier led the constables to the back door. Apparently, at some point during that morning's pandemonium, the valet had surveyed the home's entrances and found the door to the backyard damaged. This, Courvoisier told police, must have been where the culprits entered. The constables took note of the damaged door and the countless items strewn about the house. Priceless pieces of art and fine jewelry had been tossed around and stacked near the front door. It was as if the thieves had been interrupted halfway through the robbery. The amount of valuables left behind struck police as especially strange. Authorities weren't even sure that anything had actually been stolen. Maybe the supposed burglary was just a way to create confusion. If disorder was the goal, the culprits had certainly been successful. The officers were baffled, and things only got more odd. Shortly after Constables Baldwin and Rose showed up, Inspector John Tedman and a physician named Henry Ellsgood arrived to take a look at Lord Russell's body. My God. In all my years of medicine, I've never seen anything quite like this. Could the wound have been... Self-inflicted? I doubt it. It's too brutal. Look here. The gash goes straight through the carotid artery. It must be nearly six inches deep. This kind of cut takes force and precision, much more than a man of his age could muster. 
What I don't understand is the blood. There's plenty of it. Right, but when the carotid artery is severed, it spurts blood up and out. There should be blood on the bed curtains, the walls, maybe even the ceiling. But there isn't. It's all soaked into the mattress. Whoever did this must have used this towel or something similar to block the spray. I don't see how one person could have done this on their own. Although Lord Russell's bed was soaked through with crimson, the crime scene was otherwise remarkably clean. The murderer, or murderers, took care to make sure the old man's blood stayed off the walls. Still, whoever killed Lord Russell got their hands dirty, and not just figuratively. Someone, somewhere, must have gotten the man's blood on their own skin and clothing. A shirt with maroon stains could lead police straight to the culprit, but no one would be foolish enough to wear a bloodied top while leaving a crime scene. But perhaps the killer hadn't left the scene at all. After surveying the body, Inspector Tedman went downstairs and followed the constables to the back door, where Corvoisier suggested the killers had entered. The door certainly showed signs of forced entry. However, upon closer inspection, Inspector Tedman thought the damage looked to have been inflicted from inside the house. The investigator's breath caught in his throat. He turned to see Courvoisier, Sarah, and Mary, Lord Russell's valet, maid, and cook, all watching him. He looked them over carefully and then said, Someone in this house has done this ghastly deed. Coming up, police investigate Lord Russell's servants, and news of the aristocrat's death terrifies London's upper class. Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa from Parcast. If you haven't had a chance to check out my series, Mythology, you don't know what you're missing. Heroes, gods, monsters, and mayhem. This podcast has it all. Every Tuesday, take a deep dive back in time, exploring the history, origins, and meaning behind the myths that have shaped the Earth. Each episode of Mythology dramatizes a story pulled from beliefs from around the world, giving insight into how our ancestors saw the universe and how those stories resonate in our lives today. Recent episodes include the epic battle between Hercules and Theseus, the grieving spirit known as La Llorona, and a treacherous journey to the land of the dead. Catch new episodes every Tuesday and binge the classics anytime. Follow Mythology free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now back to the story. On the morning of May 6th, 1840, 73-year-old Lord William Russell, a well-known English aristocrat, was found dead in his London home. At first, the crime scene raised more questions than it answered. The botched robbery and brutal murder didn't add up. 
Then, John Tedman, an inspector with London's Metropolitan Police Department, took a closer look at the back door. Lord Russell's valet, 23-year-old Francois Courvoisier, told officers this must have been where the killers entered. But the signs of forced entry appeared to have been inflicted from inside the home. It looked like the break-in had been staged. Inspector Tedman turned to Lord Russell's employees with suspicion. He inspected the valet, the maid, and the cook, checking their clothing and skin for blood spatter or other signs of guilt. All three servants were clean. The inspector wasn't deterred. Any or all of the employees could have cleaned up before authorities arrived. Even so, there had to be evidence of the crime somewhere. Tedman tore through the house in search of a half-washed glove or a knife submerged into blood-tinted water. But he couldn't find anything of the sort. Whoever committed the murder had either destroyed the evidence or hidden it very well. Tedman was starting to get nervous. Lord Russell's home held clues, but none that came together well enough to explain what had happened to him. News of the aristocrat's death was spreading through London fast, and before long, influential Britons, including members of Parliament and England's own Prince Albert, sent messages requesting updates on the investigation. Interest like this didn't fall onto just any crime. Lord Russell's was a unique case. In his younger years, he had served as a longtime member of Parliament, and his family was one of great stature and influence. Even the British monarch, 20-year-old Queen Victoria, felt personally disturbed by the murder. In her diary, she wrote, This is really too horrid. It is an almost unparalleled thing for a person of Lord Russell's rank to be killed like that. Her words rang true. Very rarely did such an awful fate befall a person as highly regarded as Lord William Russell. His death shook Britain's aristocracy. Suddenly, they felt unsafe in their own beds, terrified that a crook or a killer might come after them next. The sooner authorities could solve the murder, the sooner these influential people could go back to feeling secure. That very afternoon, Metropolitan Police held an inquest into Lord Russell's death. The inquest served as a way to publicly ascertain all the available details of the case. A coroner walked a jury through the home, giving them what amounted to a macabre tour of the crime scene. When they got to the aristocrat's bedroom, most jurors couldn't bear to look at the corpse. They held their breath until the coroner led them back downstairs. The group then took statements from all three of Lord Russell's servants. The employees recounted that morning's events, as well as those of the previous day, May 5th. Yesterday, I believe his lordship woke around 9 o'clock in the morning. I think Mary made him breakfast. Yes, he took breakfast and then read in his study. He spent nearly the entire morning there, absorbed in some book or another. Is that sort of behavior normal? Uh, oh, certainly. He regularly spends his mornings reading. I brought him lunch, and shortly after, he left for the club. A place called Brooks's, if my memory serves me. The valet made traveling arrangements, I presume. It was a lovely day, so his lordship left on foot. Does he walk well at his age? He uses a stick, 
but he gets around fine. I see. And what did you do while he was out? A few workmen dropped by to do some household repairs. There was actually a bit of a skirmish because Courvoisier... An old friend of mine dropped by. Henry Carr. I'm embarrassed to say I got a bit distracted and neglected my duties. His lordship ended up having to take a cab home because I forgot to send a carriage. He was understandably irritated and told me I needed to do a better job. Those were his exact words. Not exact, no. I can't remember precisely what his lordship said, but that was the gist of it. He didn't linger on it, really. Soon after he got home, he went on his regular early evening walk, Mary served him dinner, and he returned to reading in his study. Courvoisier's confession was met with whispers and wide eyes. Although the valet tried his best to minimize the mistake, it was clear that he and Lord Russell weren't on good terms the previous evening. This, along with Courvoisier's odd behavior that morning, made him look very suspicious. But both Sarah and Mary agreed that Lord Russell never threatened to punish or fire the valet. He moved on from the incident quickly and seemed to be in a good mood. After dinner, he gave Mary the rest of the night off so she could go visit a friend. While Mary was out, Sarah and Courvoisier ate supper together. Sometime later, Mary returned home. Courvoisier offered to walk to a nearby pub and buy Mary some beer before she turned in for the night. She planned to leave her position at Lord Russell's house in the near future, and the valet insisted she deserved a proper send-off. Mary couldn't turn down such a generous offer. Courvoisier told the coroner and the jury that he left, stopped by the pub, and came straight back home. He was sure he'd locked the front door on his way in, but he couldn't be certain that he'd latched the gate outside. The servants reportedly had a jolly evening. Mary downed the beer while Sarah sipped on some wine that Courvoisier gave her. Very quickly, both women were tipsy and tired. They fell into their beds and slept heavily. Courvoisier, on the other hand, had to stay up until Lord Russell was ready to retire. It was the valet's job to heat his employer's bed with a tray of hot coals, then help the old man up the stairs and into his nightclothes. Courvoisier waited until just before midnight when Lord Russell was finally ready to go to his room. The valet then warmed his employer's bed, walked the old man to his room, and lit a candle so Lord Russell could continue reading until he nodded off. Courvoisier then went to his own room where he slept until a frantic Sarah pounded on his door that morning. You were the last person in the house to go to sleep? It's possible. I'm not sure how late his lordship stayed up reading. But you were the last to go to your room? Yes. So you were the last person to see the victim alive? Uh, yes, I suppose so. Besides whoever killed him, that is. Suspicion continued to mount against the valet. If the servants' stories were true, Sarah and Mary were each in a deep, alcohol-induced slumber during the crime. Any noises or screams might not have woken them. It's unclear if Courvoisier was sober by the time he went to bed. If he was, he must have been a very heavy sleeper to snooze through a break-in and a murder. Plus, he was the last known person to see Lord Russell alive. The circumstantial evidence pointed to the valet, 
But some members of the jury weren't so sure. Once Courvoisier's initial shock wore off, he appeared equally as distressed as the other servants, and he was, for the most part, forthcoming with information. He didn't look like he was hiding anything, besides his embarrassing mishap the previous evening, of course. Some information actually leaned in the valet's favor. Francois Courvoisier had only been employed by Lord Russell for about five weeks. The 23-year-old had immigrated to England from Switzerland a few years prior. He worked as a servant at an estate near Dover before moving to London, and Lord Russell hired him after receiving a stellar recommendation from his previous employer. One member of the jury had spoken to Courvoisier's old boss, who gave an unquestionable report in the Swiss immigrants' favor. Courvoisier was a young man of the utmost character. To suspect him of murder, especially one so cruel as this, was absurd. But Sarah and Mary seemed like even less reasonable suspects. Mary was good-tempered, modest, and about to leave Lord Russell's employment. Sarah was one of his lordship's most trusted servants. No conclusions could be drawn, so the inquest concluded that night. The jury agreed to a charge of murder against some person or persons unknown. The next morning, May 7th, Inspector Tedman returned to 14 Norfolk Street. He found members of Lord Russell's family gathered upstairs and reporters waiting outside. Oh, Inspector, how kind of you to finally arrive. You shouldn't be here. I beg your pardon. This is a crime scene. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. This is Russell family property. William's body is still laid out and we came to pay our respects. Anyway, we've got a proposition to run by you. Get on with it then. We've decided to band together and offer up a reward for anyone who can help solve this dreadful crime. How much of a reward? Four hundred pounds. Oh, yes, yes, I believe that amount would be more than suitable. <clears throat> uh, we'll be investigating the rest of the house, but you all feel free to, um, to carry on. Lord Russell's relatives had gathered to mourn their loved one, discuss the investigation, and pool money for a reward. The 400 pounds they offered up was a shocking sum, the equivalent of about 14,000 U.S. dollars today. But the family had money to spare, and because Lord William Russell had been so distinguished, the government offered to supply half of the reward at the request of the Queen herself. It was enough to silence Inspector Tedman, and it probably left him more determined than ever to crack the case. The faster he could solve the mystery, the faster he could get his hands on some of that money... The inspector went back downstairs to oversee the continued investigation. Sarah, Mary, and Courvoisier hadn't been out of law enforcement's sight since the previous morning. To ensure the servants couldn't tamper with evidence, they were monitored and kept out of the way during the second sweep of the house. That day, police uncovered a carving knife with a small mark on it. It was nothing conclusive, but some officers speculated that it could have been the murder weapon. Other investigators suggested that the killer might have tried to flush the weapon or other pieces of evidence, so plumbers were brought in to search the home's drains. They found nothing. 
Police surveyed the home's roof, gutters, and closets, all to no avail. They called in sweeps to hunt through the chimneys. Authorities inspected every inch of the home, down to its darkest corners, but they couldn't uncover a single clue. By this point, the sun was setting. The last thing authorities did was check the home's inventory to determine precisely what the thieves had stolen. It was a meager haul. A few gold coins, some jewelry, a watch, a couple of ten-pound bills, and fourteen pieces of silver cutlery. At the very least, police now had a lead. They knew exactly what had been taken from the house— If they could track down these missing items, they could find Lord Russell's murderer. Law enforcement returned to 14 Norfolk Street the next morning, May 8th. The atmosphere in the house was tense. Sarah had time to think it over, and regardless of what Courvoisier's previous employer said, she thought the valet ought to be law enforcement's prime suspect. She told police... The more I think about it, the more it makes sense. Francois never liked his lordship, not from the moment he came to work here. I've overheard him saying he wished he never got this job. He even told me once that if he had Lord Russell's money, he would take off back to Switzerland and nobody'd be the wiser. Sarah initially thought Courvoisier's off-color comments were jokes, but in retrospect, they seemed sinister, foreboding. Authorities took down Sarah's statement with a grain of salt. Such talk from Courvoisier was suspicious, but so was Sarah's insistence that the valet was guilty. Her eagerness to cast blame might have been an attempt to deflect attention from herself. But that same afternoon, officers realized Sarah might be right. The only places law enforcement hadn't inspected were the servants' quarters. Sarah and Mary's room revealed nothing, but one hawk-eyed inspector noticed something strange in Courvoisier's space. The baseboards seemed a little loose. Officers pried off the skirting. Beneath it, they found a small velvet pouch. It contained five of Lord Russell's missing rings and a collection of gold coins. The inspector's stomach dropped. The missing items weren't missing at all. They'd been squirreled away in the walls of Lord Russell's home. Up next, law enforcement discovers the rest of Courvoisier's hidden treasures. But a few missing items can't be located. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. 
Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And now back to our story. On May 8th, 1840, two days after English aristocrat Lord William Russell was found murdered, London's Metropolitan Police Department discovered a bombshell secret. Items that were supposedly stolen were found hidden behind the baseboards in Francois Couvoisier's room. The 23-year-old valet immediately became law enforcement's prime suspect. Officers peeled back a second baseboard to uncover more treasures, including more missing jewelry and a 10-pound note. That bill alone was worth the equivalent of over 300 U.S. dollars today. Authorities confronted Courvoisier with the evidence. We found these items tucked beneath the skirting boards of your pantry. Do you care to explain yourself? I haven't the slightest idea how any of it got there. Honest. Do you really expect us to believe that? It's the truth. I don't know what else to tell you. Courvoisier insisted he hadn't hidden the items, but as he was the only one to live in the small room, he was the most likely suspect. Plus, those weren't the only valuables officers unearthed. Lord Russell's watch and another ring were found under the lead that surrounded the sink, and a small gold locket was discovered wedged beneath the hearthstone. Investigators popped open the locket. Inside was a lock of auburn hair. I suppose you've no explanation for this either. That's his lordship's missing locket. Where did you find it? You don't already know? No. He lost it about a month ago. He's been terribly distraught. It's all he has left of his late wife. It must be worth quite a large sum. It has more sentimental value than any other item he owned. You know that's not what I'm suggesting. The jewelry must be pure gold. Were you planning to keep it or were you going to pawn it off? I resent these accusations. As Couvoisier denied knowledge and involvement, evidence continued to mount against him. Police searched his quarters and found cash. Too much for someone with a servant's salary to have on hand. It was possible that he'd brought money from Switzerland or saved a substantial amount of his earnings over time, but it was also possible that he'd been slipping bills out of Lord Russell's wallet. The latter explanation seemed much more likely. Sarah told police that it was common for Courvoisier to complain about money. He talked almost constantly about what he would do if he were as wealthy as Lord Russell. Perhaps he decided to start taking a bit of the old man's riches for himself. Police stepped back and deliberated over the available evidence. Everything was circumstantial, but it all pointed towards the valet. He had a clear motive and behaved strangely on the morning that the body was discovered. Almost every missing item had been found in areas for which Courvoisier was responsible. The evidence wasn't airtight, but it was enough. On Sunday, May 10, 1840, Metropolitan Police arrested 23-year-old Francois Courvoisier on suspicion of murder. That same day, the Sunday Times published a series of sketches depicting the crime and investigation. 
In one, a horror-struck Sarah uncovers Lord Russell's corpse. Blood wraps the old man's body like a blanket. The murder had already gripped England's upper classes, but these drawings made the case a national sensation. Britons from all backgrounds speculated about the grisly crime. Lord Russell's family wanted to have a private funeral, but that was practically impossible. People wrestled each other just to have a look at the aristocrat's casket. On May 12, 1840, Lord Russell's relatives bid him a final farewell, fighting all the while to keep curious Londoners at bay. Meanwhile, the perplexing treasure hunt at 14 Norfolk Street carried on, and Francois Corvoisier grew increasingly restless behind bars. On Wednesday, May 13th, he requested a constable fetch him a new set of linens from his room. The officer obliged. Tedman, any idea where the valet kept his sheets? Check his closet. They aren't here. Maybe his box. Oh, Tedman, you're going to want to see this. Constable Baldwin ran downstairs to grab the inspector. They rushed back to Courvoisier's room, where Tedman saw the cause of the constable's excitement. Inside Courvoisier's box of personal belongings was a shirt, out of which fell a pair of slightly blood-stained gloves. Inspector Tedman swallowed hard. It was an astounding piece of evidence, but something about it felt off. The valet's box had been searched numerous times since Lord Russell's body had been discovered. It didn't seem possible that officers skipped over such a crucial clue, only for it to be discovered by accident while Courvoisier was sitting in jail. The next day, it happened again. An officer opened Courvoisier's box to find a handkerchief dotted with blood. Either police had repeatedly missed this evidence or someone was planting it there after the fact. But who would try to frame the valet? Nobody besides the police was known to have had access to the valet's room in the days after the crime. Rumors spread that law enforcement was trying to frame the Swissman. But Sarah and Mary had also been at 14 Norfolk Street the entire time. They were technically under police surveillance, but perhaps the officers monitoring them got distracted or fell asleep. This would have given them an opportunity to sneak into Courvoisier's room and plant evidence in his box. Maybe one of the female servants was the real killer. The origin of the mysterious clues was never determined. At the time, though, a sizable portion of the population saw the gloves and handkerchief as irrefutable proof that Courvoisier was innocent. They thought someone was conspiring against the valet because he was a convenient scapegoat, perhaps because he was foreign. London was a city full of immigrants, many of whom faced frequent discrimination. When they saw one of their own in trouble, they felt obligated to help. Excuse me, would you like to donate to Francois Crevoisier's legal fund? That Swissman? He's accused of murder. We believe him to be innocent, but his court fees will be high. On a servant's salary, it will be nearly impossible for him to hire a lawyer who could help him get a fair trial. It's really a matter of due process, of justice for foreign workers. All right, all right. I, I think I've got a couple pence. Good luck. 
A group of immigrant workers gathered to raise money for Courvoisier's defense. Even a few members of the English aristocracy came out in support of the valet and warned police and the public against jumping to conclusions. At the same time, conspiracies against Sarah Manser gained traction. She'd clashed with Courvoisier and clearly tried to turn suspicion in his direction. Plus, law enforcement found some questionable items in her possession, too. A silver teaspoon and salt spoon, two things from Lord Russell's collection of fine utensils, were discovered buried in her belongings. She admitted that she stole these some time before the murder. It seemed Courvoisier wasn't the only one who'd been stealing from the aristocrat. Although petty theft wasn't uncommon amongst domestic servants of the era, it certainly didn't help Sarah's case. But authorities still believed Courvoisier was the murderer, and they were anxious to close the case as quickly as possible. As the 23-year-old awaited trial, officers sifted through 14 Norfolk Street for anything that could prove him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. If they could put Courvoisier behind bars... The 400-pound reward would be theirs. But after digging through every possible nook and cranny numerous times, law enforcement had nothing with which to convict the Swissmen. They had managed to find almost all of Lord Russell's missing valuables. The only thing still missing was a 14-piece set of silver cutlery. This became the central focus of the investigation. Law enforcement sifted through endless possibilities— The silver could have been buried, sold, or shipped abroad. It could have been kept or gotten rid of, treasured, or thrown into the River Thames. Investigators searched for nearly a month without finding any answers. Lord Russell's family was getting tired of waiting, so they upped the ante. On June 6, 1840, they added 50 pounds, about 1,800 U.S. dollars today, for anyone who could recover the missing silverware. Word of this new reward traveled around London fast. People dreamed of finding the silver and pocketing the money for themselves, but only two people knew where the cutlery really was. The murderer and a hotel owner who'd been sworn into the killer's confidence. But ultimately, cash was more important than loyalty. On June 18, 1840, after the first day of Courvoisier's trial had closed for the evening, the hotel owner came forward with the silver. The recovered cutlery sparked more questions, but also provided two very important answers. The identity of Lord Russell's killer and how a play called Jack Shepard led that person to commit murder. Thanks again for tuning in to Solved Murders. We'll be back next Wednesday with part two of Lord William Russell's story. We'll discover who had Lord Russell's silverware, hear the killer's confession, and reconstruct the crime that horrified Victorian London. For more information on Lord William Russell, among the many sources we used, we found Murder by the Book, the crime that shocked Dickens's London by Claire Harmon, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Solved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. 
Solve Murders, True Crime Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Solve Murders was written by Karis Allen, with writing assistance by Giles Hofseth, fact-checking by Claire Cronin, and research by Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Joe Hernandez, Eddie Lee, Julian Smith, Rebecca Thomas, and Jen Wong. Solve Murder stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. <laughs> <laughs>